Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. (laughs) That's what we want. Leaving the confines of Nice Guy Productions' world headquarters and recording in front of a live audience at Midsummer Scream in Long Beach, California, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. As most of us here are aware, there are two strikes going on in Hollywood with both the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America. Production on movies and television is at a standstill, and there's currently no light at the end of that tunnel. So we brought together a group of seasoned writers and actor to talk about it, what it's about, and how it's affecting them. First of all, Naomi Grossman, who you'd know as Pepper on American Horror Story. Scott Reynolds, one of the main screenwriters on Dexter through the whole show. And the reboot. And uh, Josh Miller and Pat Casey, who wrote Sonic the Hedgehog and Violent Night. So I don't want to just jump right into the strike because we have such esteemed artists here with us to give us a little background uh, about where they came from, how they became a part of this industry. So Naomi, how did it start for you? How did the acting bug bite you and you were able to bite it back? Mm. Wow. Um, Maybe in the womb. (laughs) I mean, it was very, very early. And uh, I mean... There wasn't much to be done in Denver, Colorado, uh, other than, you know, children's theater and whatnot. But um, uh, that's what I did. And um, I got involved with a, a little, you know, kids talent agency that sent me out for, you know, regional commercials and Father Dowling Mysteries. And that's actually how I got my SAG card. Oh, fa- Father Dowling Mysteries. Yes. So did that shoot in Denver? It did. Ah, okay. So, yeah, awesome. got my card on my 15th birthday, awesome. and which was great. That's uh, better than getting your driver's license on your 16th, r- right? Well, I got that, too. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it took me out of the market for a couple of years until I could get to Hollywood. Um, but, um, you know, I was ahead <laughs> of the game once I did get here, so that was great. So, yeah, what was the, the ticket that that opened the door for you to be able to do, was it the Father Dowling? It was Father Dowling, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, like I said, very little to do. There was there was the original Perry Mason right. and Father Dowling. That was it. Right. And, um, but uh, so that got you an agent? I, uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> In I, a roundabout way. Before that even, you know, just being a extroverted kid got you an agent. <laughs> Truly. Excellent. So Scott, what about you? Uh, how, where do your writing roots go back to and how did you make that transition into actually writing a hit television series? Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, especially coming here to Midsummer Scream. I loved horror my whole life. I think, I think the time that like really uh, solidified it for me is I'm, I'm probably older than most of you here. And, uh, not, you know, well, except. not really, I guess. <laughs> right? But uh, when, I was, when I was a little kid, my parents took me to Disneyland, uh, went to um, the Haunted Mansion, which I saw yesterday, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was probably, it was a Disney World. I was probably like four or five. We're in line. I get to the, and I'm just staring at this place and these, you know, 
I'd heard the record, the LP, you know, back in the day. I'd listened to it a whole bunch. Chilling, thrilling sounds of exactly. the haunted house. Exactly, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It was that so was good. It was so, so I was pumped. I was ready. I was primed. And then I got to the front, and I freaked out. And my parents, this is, you know, 1975 probably. My parents were like, uh, well, we're going inside. You go sit over there. So, you know, which you could not do nowadays, right? But uh, so I don't know. I forget how old. It was probably like six or whatever. And I'm just sitting Six there. was old enough to leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. And I just sort of sat there, and they went inside. It took them a while, and this thing just kept growing and growing in my head about what's inside. And I feel like that was sort of this original moment of, uh, of creating the story, right? Um, Sonus Van Gulli in Chicago was another big thing. I don't know if any guys Still on the air. Still on, on the yeah. air on MeTV. He's a cool cat. Uh, watching all those horror movies did that for me. So then I was like, do I want to act? Do I want to write? Uh, moved to L.A. after watching Pulp Fiction. I worked in a movie theater. We'd screen The Prince, you know, at midnight. For those of you who worked in a movie theater. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I watched it, and, my, and I was just like, that's it. Um, you know, movies. What a great movie to inspire the move. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so I saw that, uh, called up my girlfriend at that time and said, I was, at, at, um, I was in college at Eastern Michigan University. And uh, I said, I'm gonna, we we're going to graduate. I'm going to move to L.A. You should come with me. We got married. We moved. Uh, and the struggle was real. <laughs> Worked in a bookstore. Had a great screenplay, I thought. Just going to enter me into the world. It's going to be great. Nah, that's not how it works. So did you write the first material you wrote was for the screen, or did you write prose first? Uh, it was for the screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So full-time screenwriter. That's what I wanted to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to write for TV. Well, at that point, I wanted to write for movies. And then TV got so great, you know, the Sopranos and The Shield and all these things that sort of opened it up. Uh, and then I saw the pilot for Dexter. At that point, what I, I had been a writing assistant on a bunch of shows. Touched by an Angel, which made my parents very happy. <laughs> very different. <laughs> Hey, you know, go undercover and you're bad. Before you do a lovable serial killer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My parents are still like, when can you just go back to those sort of stories? <laughs> nice stories that everybody can enjoy. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. Uh, we don't like that. <laughs> yeah. And I saw the pilot for, um, for, for Touched. I mean, not for, sorry, for Dexter. Uh, touched by a Dexter. And, uh, yeah. And, and Michael C. Hall, I don't know if you remember, like at that point he was doing Six Feet Under. Right. And it took me, yeah, it's another great show. Uh, it took me like 10 minutes before I realized that was that same guy from that other show. Oh, wow. Everything about him was completely different, the way he walked, the way he looked. Well, that smile, that Dexter That's smirk. Just deadly. Yeah, yeah just so good. Um, and I had been assisting some guy who, um, Clyde Phillips, and I called him up. I was like, hey, man, I want to do this show. I'll do anything. And he goes, all I got is a writing assistant. I'd been a, I'd been a, got my first staff writing job on a, on a Bruckheimer show. Which one? Uh, with Dennis Hopper. Um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, it got canceled right away. Uh, about the Pentagon. E-ring, E-ring. It's a, <laughs> what a title. It's like, okay. like a, se a sex toy or something, right? It, I said. I, I, dude, I got I, an E-ring. <laughs> I said we don't edit, but we'll edit that. <laughs> Uh, and so I took the job. My agents were like, don't do it, don't, go, don't step backwards, but I believed in that. Like I, I loved it, and I got on that, and that's how I uh, 
got on Dexter and just worked my way up all the way till it ended, and then I got called again to come back and do Dexter New Blood, and what happened there happened. I got a tattoo, a blood slide, I'm that committed, <laughs> I'm an idiot. You but are I love committed. it all, and I'm yeah. a fan of yours, and this is oh, great. Like, well, this thank is, what, you. A, what a time. I can't believe I got to watch him do that opening in person. That was pretty cool, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Josh, we've known each other for a while since you were doing the podcast and everything. We, we did that together. Um, what was your beginning? You and Pat work as a team, and it's all in the feature world. So we have an actress, we have a television screenwriter, and we have feature screenwriters here. So we want to get this variety of opinions and experiences. So what was it for you? How did you begin? You know, we talked about it. You guys were both on the show when Violent Night came out. But what was the beginning for you? Um, I mean, we grew up in the same town together, suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, where they also didn't make a lot, although Minnesota did have a tax credit back then. They made the Mighty Ducks there yeah. when we were kids. So we like <laughs> knew a bunch. All the kids who were good at hockey were in the Mighty Ducks as like guys on the bad guy team, but neither of us were good at hockey. Yeah, so we weren't in the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> you were minds hopelessly trapped in bodies. I'd like yeah. to see you guys on ice. That'd yeah, uh, I mean, I, I won't fall Josh over. Josh and Pat on ice. I yeah. see it now. It's when hey. Disney is down, you guys. There's a know. strike going on. We're not doing anything else. <laughs> ice capades, right? Um, but uh, we were extras in a movie no one remembers called Here on Earth with Josh Hartnett and Lily Sobieski. Yeah, you see us very clearly in the first five minutes of that movie, so anytime it's on HBO, I always watch watch the beginning. You're like, there, there we are! <laughs> wow, you're right. None of us remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You watch it and you're like, oh my God, I'm old. Yeah. Uh, but we met because our town had a cable access station that was mostly for showing school events and city hall meetings, but they had one late night variety show that was basically like AV Club. It was run by and starring teenagers and sometimes like college kids, but we felt they were kind of losers. Like, guys, come on. Now, have <laughs> like, you always been a team or have you written separately ever? Uh, not since we moved out here. Like right. we became yeah. friends we, like, on the show. We came onto that show separately. Each of us with the same approach of like, hey, what if we made this show good instead? Um, <laughs> and like at first we were sort of part of rival camps, but then pretty soon we joined forces and then, teamed and up against been, the older kids. Yeah, working together ever <laughs> since, really. Um, but I mean, even though we, you know gained all our experience doing live variety TV. Uh, I don't think it ever occurred to us to pursue doing live variety <laughs> TV. We wanted to make movies. Um, and it's funny, all the stuff we did in college, we kind of call a horror comedy. Our first movie to ever get released, we made for $500, and it's called Hey, Stop Stabbing Me. It's uh, great. It's so available good. Available now on Blu-ray, too. It's just get it. From Severin Films, 20th anniversary. We edition. love um, Severin Films and David Chapman. But Chopper. we always referred to those as murder comedies because they weren't necessarily like full horror. It was just that Nothing half the characters died. Yeah, they had a lot uh, of horror-type <laughs> stuff in it, except that none of them would ever scare you at all. Uh, <laughs> it was only to make you laugh. But working as a team is a unique experience. I've done it once or twice in my career. Um, I don't like confrontation, and, and it is inevitable. But you guys find yourselves on the same team all the way through because this has been a years-long collaboration. Yeah, there's never really any, like, we don't like conflict either. We don't, like, 
we don't always have the same opinion, but it's sort of like whichever one of us feels more strongly about something, then the other one's like, okay, if you really, if you think it that hard, then I believe you. You know, Uncle, it's like I believe yeah. in Josh's yeah. judgment. He believes in my judgment. I think that's what makes it work. Well, let's talk about the experience of the strike. The Writers Guild struck first before the Screen Actors Guild did. Uh, Naomi, how has it affected you other than the town being shut down? Have you found yourself getting active in it? Have you picketed? Have you? I'm embarrassed to say I have not been picketing yet, but is not for any reason other than I'm recovering myself from my own experience. I, I wrote and um, produced my own show, uh, uh -huh. which uh, was all of June. And so now I'm like, I've just been literally catching up on like life. Like, right. Well, tell us about that show. And oh, then, yeah. it's called American Horror Story. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's a, a horror comedy. It's, um, no, it's a, it's a one-woman show. It's an autobiographical, yeah. uh, sort of my history of hustling. It's the third in, in the trilogy. I have two one-woman shows I did prior. Um, and this is... Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, the, this whore is not promiscuous. I mean, I've had my moments, but this is more, um, <laughs> you know, my, like I said, uh, a, a woman who's does what she does, you know, does what she's got to do to get what she wants. And that's the kind of horror we're talking about. And, and it, it kind of tracks my um, kind of journey through Hollywood from, you know, Red Bull Girl to, you know, <laughs> I mean, you name it, to number one on IMDb. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my... Anyway, that's, I, I was full-time that um, all the way up until basically the strike... Well, no, the strike just happened for us. Yeah, but, just two um, weeks ago. Yeah. That's really been my excuse. And now, like I said, in the last like two, three weeks, I've just... I don't know. I have nothing interesting to say. I mean, literally, I've been to the DMV. I went to the mechanic. I <laughs> went to the doctor. I did some laundry. Like, that I sounds worse. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. The strike is killing me. No, no, I, I will be out there, obviously. I, but the, the, I voted for it anyway. Yeah, and, and what's there's a lot at stake, more than any previous one. This is my third strike I've gone through uh, since Writers Guild. DGA never goes out, so I'm safe there. But I'm also a member of the Screen Actors Guild um, and have not been particularly active in that end because I'm not what you call an actor without apostrophe, I mean, without you know quotation marks around it. <laughs> but, um, but there are so many things that are important at stake here, and for actors in particular, the use of AI. And right now, extras have to sign a contract that say they give up their likeness rights in perpetuity, and they can use them and recreate these background actors completely digitally without paying them a cent. So that's one of the things that, uh, what, are, what are the things that affect you most deeply in, in I mean, that's terrifying. I mean, the, <laughs> the fact that, you know, Pepper could come back, but it wouldn't, they wouldn't even have to involve me. Right, or pay you. Or pay me. Yeah, um, yeah it was um, James Leary who played, I want to say Clem, the slimy face freak or something, and I want to say Buffy maybe. Anyway, he's a very close friend of mine, evidently. Uh, no, but he's a friend of mine. I follow him, and, and he, he posted something about, it was like literally like a job offer um, where they were... Um, it was for $900,000 job, you know, seeking so-and-so, such-and-such to uh, uh, basically manage AI. Like, 
and and to think that someone one person could get a million dollars for in order to replace thousands of people to steal the images of actual human beings yeah. that they could pay SAG minimum yeah. and get a real performance rather than just doing it digitally and recreating it. it it's a scary world we're up against you know what what we're capable of doing is amazing but it's not as amazing as living, breathing human beings who have a personality that come with them from birth. Right. That experience trauma, and trauma, so, you know, yeah. Yeah, computers exactly. don't have a lot of trauma, but trauma is what makes us, I don't know, don't I'm not saying it's good, but it's good. <laughs> but I feel like I've seen some of these AI movies before, you yeah, know, these like, yeah. just like heartless movies where, I don't know, it's just like people running in forests and generic Dodge, yeah. dodging arrows and i'm like am i following this like is anything and they're like no 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 this was like created by a computer there's no <laughs> yeah if you're looking for a plot like yeah they don't uh, yeah do well in writing it's the same thing but well there the first example wasn't even digitally done but bob zemeckis brought um humphrey bogart back to life in an episode of tales from the crypt or a pilot episode for one of those spin-off stories and Hopefully the Bogart estate was paid or <laughs> remunerated in some way, but I don't know that they were. But in writing, ChatGPT basically just regurgitates what it has been ingesting for years. So there's no sense of true creativity from the ground up. And it's a really scary situation. So Scott, tell me about how that would affect you. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think it, it could be a tool you know, Absolutely. like I think, I think there's, there's, you know, we all use Google to find stuff, and, and in some ways, chat Google. GBT, What's that? It's, uh, yeah, I'll tell you about it later. It's really cool, um, but uh, uh, I, th I think it could be a. T I think if we can use it as a tool for uh, for us to like figure out 14 episodes or an, an idea about a doctor that ha a, that's got to cure a disease that happens in your aorta is that your heart i don't know that's why i need ChatGPT. but uh i think i think that's all well and good um but I, I actually am more like scared for actors in a lot of ways like i was listening to billy uh, strike talk strike talk strike talk today as i was driving in and he he interviews ai and interviews ai in the voice of morgan freeman and it is shocking because it sounds like he's talking to morgan freeman and then arnold schwarzenegger and then emma, emma watson, watson. And Chris Rock, uh, and it's amazing. Like it sounds, especially Chris Rock, <laughs> it's really kind of stunning. <laughs> Speaking in the voice of Chris Rock, uh, so yeah, this is. I feel like this is one of the, the biggest strikes we'll ever have in our lifetime because if we don't uh, get in control of it as artists, because uh, there's no stopping it. I think. But. Well, there's something else that affects television writers, yeah. and that is the size of the writer's room and the number of episodes being committed to. You know, There are shorter and shorter seasons because they don't want to commit to paying the writers and fewer writers in that room. So Scott, tell me if that's affected you. Uh, I've been lucky. Uh, it hasn't really affected me. However many writers we wanted to have in our rooms, like all through Dexter and Jessica Jones and Iron Fist and some other stuff and the following, we got what we wanted. So it hasn't really affected us in any way. Um, and I think uh, if someone were to actually try to like rewrite an AI-generated script, it would actually take longer <laughs> to like go back through that thing to make it something enjoyable, uh, something that touches you, something that moves you, something that scares you or makes you laugh or whatever. 
Uh, I think people will realize that rather quickly, but yeah. Um, yeah. I think it would be a lot easier to replace a studio executive with AI than yeah. any creative artist. I mean, sure. look, uh, when I was, when we were doing uh, those Marvel Netflix shows over on, on Netflix, Jessica Jones and, and, and Iron Fist, um, they started, by the time we got to Iron Fist, they started giving us notes that were like, by, by this point of time, we expect this to happen, otherwise people will turn it off. Uh, because meaning minutes data. by minute eight. Yeah, minute yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Data, like data-driven sort of thing, which I think is basically what AI, what AI is going to try to tell you anyway, and and that will quickly get disproven, right? I mean, look at this summer with uh, with Barbenheimer. You know, would yeah. any, could anybody have ever thought that that the big movie this summer wasn't going to be another? And I love I love superhero movies. Don't get me wrong. But um, it was just another big superhero movie, right? But two original movies that yeah. are not part of IP. Well, I guess IP Barbie as a doll. Yeah, but uh, But still. two movies, and Barbie especially, hugely profitable, giant opening weekends. And Oppenheimer, a very thoughtful, very talky three-hour drama <laughs> to become, you know, to take in $85 million on its opening weekend and Barbie take in $165 million. It says a lot about something fresh. And by yes. the way, I saw Barbie the other night, which would be an entirely unlikely move for me. And I loved it. Were you <laughs> dressed in pink? Cause yeah. if, and if you were, other pictures. <laughs> if I were dressed in pink, I would have borrowed it from Cynthia, <laughs> which I did not. No. Only black in the family. <laughs> so from the feature end, Pat and Josh, um, how has this affected you, and have, has it activated you politically and socially? Um, I mean, nice thing for us, it hasn't impacted us too bad yet. I mean, it's been going on a while, but I think it's going to go on a while longer. But we have three different projects that are just sitting on ice. I mean, the uh, biggest effect was knowing that the strike was likely coming up. We had, like, this pile of stuff to do, and everyone was like, you got to get it in before the strike might start, <laughs> and, like... We were like, well, maybe there'll be an extension, but we couldn't count on it, so we had to absolutely kill ourselves. And then for like there wasn't, the last so I'm glad we yeah. we didn't. So but we did, yeah, we turned it in, and then uh, yeah, went out uh, picketing immediately the next day, and picketed like every day that week. And then that weekend, I utterly collapsed because I was so exhausted, I shouldn't have picketed right away. I was too tired to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. But you know, you, you don't know how long the strike will last. You don't know if those projects will still be there when the strike ends. Right. Hopefully, they will. Uh, like executives staring at your script for. Four months? Yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. And also might come back with a note on every single sentence because they had nothing better nothing to, to do. do. Yeah, yeah, right. They're all at they're they're taking vacations right now. I don't They're believe. not working either. They're not they're, <laughs> they're not scrutinizing any of the scripts. Um, as far as like activating us politically, I mean we were already pretty pissed off about yeah. residuals and streaming. Uh, Which are non-existent, basically. Pretty much, especially, uh, I mean, I think Scott can speak to it as, you know, Dexter was one of those shows that everybody you knew had one of the seasons or all of them on DVD boxes. So that was a good residual generator. Right. And I think we were talking, I was like, what were the residuals on the new all Showtime season? Oh, those, they were okay. okay it, was the, it, was the, it was the Netflix sorry, stuff. That was, that was, that was, yeah, yeah, Showtime yeah, yeah. is still a network. But yeah, right, yeah. Right. It, but it was, it was Netflix that it went, I mean, we, there's not a world where you could afford to live on it if you were out of work for two months. You know, it's, yeah. it's shocking how little we suddenly got. And I, know I feel like the move to streaming was 
more than anything else was just a way to avoid paying residuals that they got this like new media contract and then they were like we'll just move the entire industry into yeah. this thing where we'll be more profitable not by making more money but just by paying everybody less. Well that's why they're now a- pulling shows like even brand new shows like Willow which was like a one one year old and they already pulled it from Disney Plus and my understanding is that is because there's certain they have to pay out certain things if they leave it on for another year and they're just like yep. eh. So have you had that experience on American Horror oh, yeah. Story and, and the other thing? I mean, that's probably your highest profile thing. Mm-hmm, but for sure. And so you're talking about, an, uh, even though it's a cable network show, it's still a network show. So residuals are better defined than in the world of streaming. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. People imagine, like, you know, TV stars are, I don't know, popping bonbons by the pool. I'm waiting for a a residual, which oftentimes is literally worth less than this postage that was it was sent with. Like I'm not even kidding. Like I've gotten those checks. I think Me we've too. all seen them. Yeah. Everyone always posts it on Facebook. You know, or white out your address. But it, <laughs> it's just bonkers to think like this is real. Like why are why am I even getting this? Yeah, when you've got viewership of shows, well, Netflix in particular has opened the door to international series like Squid Game and all these shows that come from the UK and other places, they don't have to pay any residuals to the artists, the actors, the writers, the directors, the producers, anybody. Um, One of the examples, the worst examples I had during a strike experience was after we did two seasons of Masters of Horror, Lionsgate bought the rights to the series and they sold it to NBC. And so there was an impending strike. We had 13 first drafts written for the new series, Fear Itself. They were all done by Halloween that year was the deadline of the strike. So I was producing the show, I was show running the show, and the other producers who were my managers, which is a really bad combination I recommend against, um, they, they basically said, well, you can keep producing and give notes to these non-union scab writers we're bringing in from Canada Whoa. to do the show. And it was like they basically kidnapped my baby and raped it and had these writers who nobody approved but these guys um, rewriting the show. And I said, I can't give them notes and let them do the work. I'm a writer. I'm the creator of the show. I'm running this. And the whole point is to do movies that the directors have final cut. They, it's all their, it's truly their films. And I couldn't do that. And it was heartbreaking, but I had to leave my own show during the strike, go out on strike. And they did it without me. And they shot um, eight of them, and five of them aired before it was pulled. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So this is your first strike, guys. Tell me how, how that feels to be involved in. Some, you're suddenly thrust into a position of having to take a stand. Um, I mean, it sucks, but there's also a weird part of it that, I don't know if rewarding is the right word. It, well, there's you know, real unity. Joining the Guild yeah. but felt like a big deal because we'd been, we sold our first script in 2002 or three, and we didn't get into the guild until 2015. Yeah, we were wandering so. the uh, <laughs> the forest of indies, and you know, barely getting paid, and uh, <laughs> where nobody sees residuals. Know, yeah. yeah, and well, and 
you know, residuals in healthcare, you hear about the strike they had in the 60s or whenever it was where people gave up a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so 1960. future generations could yeah. get residuals in healthcare. So, you know, it feels cool to be a part of something like that and actually feel like a... Sometimes people ask me, what's the difference between a guild and a union? I'm like, I don't actually know. In my mind, it's like guild is like a craftsman, you know? You're like a... Yeah. Uh, it's more of like, it's like an art union. I don't know if right. that's accurate. I don't even know the difference. But the, the whole point of these guilds and the Writers Guild of America used to be called the Screenwriters Guild when it was formed in the 30s. And and crews before the uh, IATSE was formed, they would be working such brutal hours that they would sleep on the studio floor so they could wake up and do their next 20-hour day, things like that. There were, there were no rules in place, and it was just like so many other occupations besides the entertainment industry. But the protection of the worker being exploited by the man um, was just something really important. And in particular, when you talk about creative arts, you're talking about people who are using their creativity to create something that is going to appeal to a wide audience and make somebody a lot of money as well. And it's usually not the artists who benefit most from that unless you are you know, uh, the writer of the number one Marvel movie or whatever and, and do five of those in a row. But it's always, you know, Bob Iger gets $27 million a year for saying, oh, I like this, no, I don't like that. Well. AI can do that just as well, maybe even better. Yeah. Yeah, we say, like, a ma you could just sit there with a magic eight ball and be like, should I green like this? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Scott. Maybe. Yeah, should I green like that? Yeah. All right. Well, look Check what's back happening. later. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, look what's happening at Disney now. I mean, Haunted Mansion just came out yesterday and it's tanked. All of their movies this year have been huge box office. Feels like July is maybe not the time to put out um, yes. a Halloween movie. I, yeah, I kinda, saw it yesterday. You know, I kind of remember that from 1993. Yeah. Uh oh. There was a movie called Hocus Pocus. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it came out in July, July 16th, 1993. So weird. And gosh, I don't know why it didn't get any box office. <laughs> and you, so it's. Do you think it's because. Uh, that 90-day window or whatever it is, so that that comes out. Are, are they just thinking about Disney Plus now? Right. right. Well, are they just is, is, are they sort of like forsaking the theatrical experience? Maybe, but you know, Hocus Pocus two went directly. I know to Disney Plus, yeah. and <laughs> I still haven't been paid for that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Iger. Boo, <laughs> boo yeah. <Not> good. <laughs> it's not just ghosts that say boo. <laughs> <laughs> So, so have, Scott, have you yeah. been standing online? Yeah, yeah, I've been striking probably about four days a week, uh, walking around Disney. Speaking of Disney, yeah. Paramount, you guys at Paramount sometimes, yeah. uh, Universal Brothers. sometimes. That's kind of miserable over there. Um, they took away trees and constructing on yeah, the sidewalk. Yeah, they, they literally cut down trees outside the studio it's like our only shade. because it's hot and there's yeah. no shade there. That that's the kind of people who are running the studios. Yeah. Um, I, the only sort of like bright moment is that I'm able to like the other, like last week I was walking around with with horror royalty right I'm yeah. I'm, I'm uh, uh, suddenly there's Barbara Crampton uh, what <laughs> right uh, we love Barbara Bill Mosley what yep. Chop Top what you know yeah. uh, uh, you know Otis B 
what's uh, Otis B? I'm forgetting his last name. Driftwood. Yeah. Oh, Driftwood. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I was like, that's not Ripley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that much. Yeah, which was awesome. And uh, uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips, you know, from the zombie movies too. Uh, and it was, and Jonah Ray, which I know you guys yeah. are all friends yeah. with. And it was great to sort of commiserate and see that we're all going through this thing and we're all willing to stand up and fight for this thing. And also, I just, you know, asked Bill Mosley tons of questions about, you know. <laughs> Chop Top. Yeah, Chop Top. And, and, you know, how fun was uh, Devil's Rejects and, oh, you yeah. know, and about how, and it was, so, so there are moments like that, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick it sometimes. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of, Fun and horrible at the same yeah. time. And then well, it's 100 degrees, and you're just like, what exactly. is happening? It's better in June when yeah, it was cloudy well, every day. And people oh, were complaining. And then they quit at noon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Naomi, do you think that SAG would have gone out if the WGA had already not struck? It seems to me to have made the actors' union much bolder and be able to join in because the, then there's two giant blocks that have a lot of power to wield in the creative end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen, I don't know what Scott, w uh, Scott, I don't know what Hello. SAG would have done <laughs> without WGA, but we're definitely feel galvanized by that, you know, strength in numbers and, you know, they, they need, I mean, if you don't have writers, you don't have the blueprints, there's no house, you know, if you right. can't build it. And then, you know, you need, people in the house too like it's like together i mean we're stronger together right absolutely yeah. well, it was a it was a great jolt in the arm when when oh. y'all yeah i felt I like mean, we, like the wga was i just felt like we were winston churchill in world war ii <laughs> just waiting like, for america to join uh, walking uh, slowly around yeah sag I, was the sleeping giant in this context yeah and suddenly right? like, suddenly everyone's like honk at me come yeah. on <laughs> like it got really exciting you know and i, and I was just trying to like convince I thought this could, I thought this is like my plan to end it. Like if the three of us and we got a bunch of other like middle-aged white dudes to take our, to go shirtless in front of each of the studios, I think, I think we could end it. End it? The horror. <laughs> Just fish belly white everywhere. I can't see. So that's my plan, WGA, if you guys want to get on board. Well, because the strike had been going on for months, there had to be a sense of, I mean, that sense of unity is so great and so potent, but also a sense of how long is this going to be and a sense of depression that is, depression is another uh, experience best shared. Uh, <laughs> but, but what about that? When you're walking the lines, Pat and Josh, did you experience these highs and lows? Or is it mostly high? I feel like we all, we, it almost felt like when the pandemic started, because I felt like week one, you know, you talk to somebody and be like, I'm hearing it's mid-July. And it was always like, what do you mean you're hearing? Like, what? There's the no rumor mill is amazing. There's no definitive <laughs> end to it. Uh, so I think we were always kind of like, I feel like this is for sure going into the fall. I think that was part of why we were hoping SAG would strike. I still think it's going to drag on, but that at least, it's not WGA trying to stop one truck at, 5 a.m. from going into one shoot, it's, everything shuts down anywhere that has SAG actors. Like that's more meaningful, and that's going to start hurting the studios much quicker. Yeah, but yeah. Even right when this started, just based on how long strikes had gone in the past, I think we figured that this was going to last until the end of August at least. Yeah. So like, 
I don't know. We haven't gotten depressed yet because this is all what we expected. But uh, I guess check back in a few months, and then yeah. we'll then we'll see how we're depressed we're feeling at we're that time. We're hoping that it would stop before Sonic the Hedgehog three started shooting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now I I don't think that's the case. I think the shoot's going to oh, get. Oh, that bumped. production bonus is in yeah. jeopardy. Yeah. Um, how how else has it affected the people around you, Scott? Particularly in the world of television writing, and we're talking about the size of the writer's room and the like. Can you explain a little bit about what is at stake uh, with the number of shows and the size of the writer's room? Yeah, one of the things that's been tough is, um, you've probably heard it, like mini rooms, right? That this, sort of this thing floating out there. So back in the day, they would hire a writer, the writer would write, they, they'd pitch something, they'd sell a pilot, they'd, they'd go write that pilot, maybe they'd make that pilot, and then the series would they decide, they pull the magic eight ball out and go, let's make sure we make this show or not, right? Um, and so nowadays, what they're doing is they're, uh, they're hiring four to six writers to like get together for four to six weeks to come up with the whole series, basically. Sometimes write, uh, including writing episodes or whatever, uh, and, uh, and then deciding if that's what they want to do. And then because it's not, because they say, well, we're not sure this is going in production, we're not sure what this is really happening, and because it's the Wild West with all of this, they, they're just paying everybody, like, the basic rate, right? Uh, which is, you know, tough to live on when you can work for four weeks and then suddenly not work for three months, four months. Because yeah, I mean, of, the, the, yeah. the prime time of television and network TV, you were doing 22 episodes a season. Then yeah. it went down to 13 episodes. And then there's the yeah, back nine. There's, yeah. All of the, yeah. yeah, now, because of streaming not having a regular broadcast schedule, you're not talking about Tuesday nights at nine every week. It's binging. And there, it's more like European television or British television where this story will take four episodes to tell. This story will take 13 to tell. So it's, in a way, series television has become more like mini-series television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right, yeah. And so we're doing the same amount of work, but they're not willing to pay us what we normally got paid, you know? Um, because as great as this is, uh, it's not like a guaranteed job, <laughs> right? Yeah. The struggle is real. Like, sometimes we're lucky and we work you know, for a full year, and then you might not work for nine months, uh, and which is why residuals matter, which is, you know, and when suddenly I did, what, five episodes of Jessica Jones and got less than $100 out of that in residuals, um, like co-wrote and wrote and whatever. And that was a hit show. And that was a hit show, right. And now it's over on Disney Plus, and I don't know anything about <laughs> what's going on over there, you know. Um, I know that I haven't gotten any more money for a fuzz bucket. <laughs> Tell me more about your fuzz bucket. That was my directing debut, of course. Oh, that's cool. Disney Sunday movie. And yeah, uh, so those are the things that we that we really need to be that we need to be fighting for, um, uh, because because it matters, uh, and and this will people will not be able to do this job. You know, and live in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. Well, its which own just thing. gets harder and harder. You literally have to be wealthy to buy a house in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, so, what are the other things that you've been doing? You did your one-woman show, um, and are you thinking in terms of screenwriting? You've written these shows. Do yeah. you do writing as well? I do. Um, I mean, I'm more of a writer 
in order to act. <laughs> you mm. know, I, I write for myself. And, you know, kind of like The Office, the, their cast were also writers in the writer's room. Right. Yeah. I mean, in my case, I just, I wasn't being cast in a traditional way originally. So I just got to working on my own thing. And that's how I, like I said, I kind of fell into solo performance. And um, it turns out I really like it and, and I'm good at it. So, um, so that's been, you know, it's kept me sane. I mean, I'm not, like I said, looking at for the mailbox and <laughs> when the mailman will come with the 30 cent check. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, I do feel like <laughs> not to um, benefit from any of this, but I do think in a way my timing is excellent because... Well, here, you did the one-woman show that you would not have done otherwise if that strike were not going on. Yeah, well, and yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, the fact is... The plan, I, I, from now, from here, from LA, it's going to go on to New York. It'll be off Broadway in New York. Nice. In the Congratulations. New Year. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, but from there, yay! Um, uh, and who knows from there? I mean, my goodness, we hope for a booking agent. It'll be all over the country. But at the very least, what I, my true dream, sadly, is that <laughs> I want to shoot it as a as a comedy special, and I want. Netflix and Netflix Hulu or and HBO all or the something. enemies <laughs> to, to want it, you know? And so in a way, like I said, the timing is very good in that, you know, by the time this is all over, hopefully they'll be really starved for content and I'll be right there, yeah. ready. <laughs> but... Mm. Spotlight on. Yeah. Uh, so this is a time when writers are not supposed to be writing what they've been assigned to write studio and network assignments and that sort of thing. So a lot of writers are writing on spec. After the strike ends, um, there's going to be a huge glut of spec screenplays. And it's going to be a deluge. And are you guys working on something? Uh, we're supposed to be, but well, I'll admit that that thought continues to creep into our mind and we're just like, oh man, what not what's the point, but like, that's gonna suck. Maybe we should just play more of the new Zelda game. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good game. <laughs> it's, it's hard to motivate yourself to write something on spec, yeah. even during this, although I know a lot of people are doing it, but, but Pat, are you playing Zelda or are you? I am also playing Zelda. I mean, <laughs> we're also we're taking the time to like, watch a lot of movies and read books and just sort of let our minds wander and try and you know, come up with uh, the big new ideas, but yeah, we've, we've, we're supposed to be writing a spec script, but we haven't been doing it. Uh, but instead I've been doing the, the ultimate thing you do when you're super bored, which is I'm learning close-up magic. Like the, yeah. like the <laughs> uh, Could you show us an you example? Do <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't have anything on me. Don't, I shouldn't have said anything. I got a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Scott? Are you doing something spec? Uh, you know, you're always, as a writer, you're always thinking about something. You're always thinking about you know, what's the big horror thing that I want to do? Um, so, sort of, You're devoted yeah. to the genre, aren't you? I really am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I would love to do a horror TV show. That'd be fun. I mean, Dexter basically is. And, and, yeah. uh, and we were busy sort of expanding that in some, in some ways that I can't talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've also been playing, you know, God of War, the new God of War, <laughs> which is freaking awesome. God, right? I miss it. <laughs> After you go picketing, that's it. Yeah, like, it really you don't is. Have energy just, for the rest of it's the a hundred. Oh. It's impossible to do anything. Thank you guys. After are, you've been there's going to be a, 
some lady with a one-woman show who's going to get that series, and y'all are just going to be really good at these video games. I'm just well, saying. Yeah, stay on your video games so the, <laughs> the road is clear for me and Naomi. Yeah, I've been watching lots of movies, too. been watching Tom Cruise movies in my backyard, you know, as one does. <laughs> the way to do Tonight it. Tonight I'm watching Tom Cruise's horniest movie, <laughs> Legend, that? right? Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the director's cut, of course. Because yeah. <laughs> we all know that's better, right? I mean, we all... Sure. Oh, the director's cut is always better. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good time. But, uh, I just want to say, uh, I, uh, we, were, we shot Dexter New Blood in Massachusetts. Oh, so I wow. got to go to Salem. Ah, visited okay. all the spots for Hocus Pocus. And, yeah. Uh, it was well, cool. What a, what Salem's a cool an amazing spot. place, and I first went there to location scout uh, before uh, writing the final screenplay. And Cynthia and I have gone back there like six years in a row after that because it's such an amazing time, it's, especially at Halloween, where they they celebrate with eleven days of Halloween, climaxing with a candlelight vigil to Gallows Hill, where the witches were killed. Yeah, it's it's a spooky, wonderful place. It's, As it's, someone who was born on Halloween, it's the best, right? Yeah. Oh, now yeah. not, that explains everything. It explains a lot. <laughs> well, I've I had a I wrote a pilot and a series outline based on a Stephen King story that was getting a lot of traction. We were just taking it out. We attached a couple of television stars to it, and it was really everybody was excited about it. And then crash came that. So there was sorry, another man. thing, Clive Barker and I wrote a pilot together, and uh, he wrote an outline of 10 original stories for this anthology show we were putting together for another network that didn't work out, and we were just about to take it out in other places. And there's a feature that just got picked up by a production company that was excited about it, and it all happened at the same time. So do you have anything other than things that were already simmering, like more Dexter, more Sonic, that you had in the hopper that were affected by this as well? Can't talk about it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, They're I can't even believe I'm able hint. to be here. Like, I, yeah. it's so confusing. Like, I, I, I have a, a Comic-Con in Romania I'm going to next month, wow. and I'm not even allowed to say pepper like it's like i will be signing pictures of naomi yes <laughs> good luck because <laughs> like, right. you can't be, be promoting anything that, no, exactly. that's another thing i mean you're able to do appearances like here at midsummer scream and sign and do selfies mm -hmm. and the like because of your backlog of work right but not promoting nothing like new. they've got haunted yeah. mansion out here in the hallway promoting none of the stars are going to be here for that right so so, but there, were there projects that were ready to kick in that... Yeah, I mean, I yeah. have things I'd be talking about, but... <laughs> but can't. Yeah. Scott, Same, you, yeah, you yeah, yeah. things that would make you very excited, I think. And yeah. uh, well, we can't love say I thing. think you're lying just because you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to star in a new Star Wars movie, <laughs> and the strike ruined it. It's amazing. Damn that's In right. those shorts, no less. Hell yeah. <laughs> and my subtle killer clowns from outer space. Oh, the Kyotos. We love the Kyotos. Um, yeah, we, we, again, we got kind of lucky in that we were able to finish scripts. But again, we don't know if the project, there will be, still be interest for them by the time the strike's done. But these were assignments that you had that you had written. We had assignments. And they just can't move forward. Can't move forward. And we were so busy doing those. I think we would have had a bunch of things. 
I mean, we had some like very small things that you know people started talking to us about that now we can't. Even like they're friends, but they're producers, so we can't really right. Talk yeah, like about before them, the strike started, because we were trying to finish this other stuff too. We were like, we can't talk about anything else right now. Yeah, we must focus only. I remember going, uh, hey man, let's go see this uh, these kung fu things that are showing down the place. It was like the like the two weeks before yeah, like, the strike. Was like, I can't do it. Nope, sorry, don't talk to me. Don't tell me about that. Oh, that sounds awesome. No, uh, well, what do you expect of the strike? What effect do you think it will have on the industry? And what do you think we will be able to achieve with the unity of these two unions working together? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to be optimistic in the face of, because it's kind of a Wall Street and a like tech company mentality running. You know, people used to complain about the one evil cheap person running a studio. That person at least wanted to make movies and that was why they started a movie studio. Now it's all these big corporations where the movies and TV shows are kind of a small part or an content. afterthought. Yeah. So, but and it's like, yeah, it is, uh, like I feel like we're trying to save the industry and save just making good TV and movies because it's like the people who run you know these big tech companies like they really don't seem to care like they don't think that the that they don't think the audience needs good stuff to watch they're like we'll just give them slop we'll have ai create some slop if nothing needs to be fresh it's fine they're going to eat it up the fucking little piggies like that's the way they're thinking and i don't think they're right i think the audience needs more than that we're trying to save hollywood while the people running the companies are trying but to I, ruin it. My most optimistic thing, I don't necessarily think it would happen, but what I would love to see is for these tech-minded Wall Street people determine that making movies and TV is annoying dealing with all of us. <laughs> Let's just sell phones and deliver and stuff. And so they just you. stop yeah. and then somebody else, because there's so much money to be made, the idea that, like, I, like, I think it's silly when people are just kind of like, this is the end of movies and TV forever as we know it. And it's like, yeah. I mean, people still want it and they still... Make Barbie money. I mean, come on. That was that's right. And the used to fifty million opening. Like some someone will step in and be like, "Oh, this is too much work for you tech people. I'll do it." You know. Well, what's interesting is nobody's representing the studios like back in the the day where there were studio heads that were in negotiations with the guilds that were trying to represent all of these. But since the streamers came on board. There's nobody in charge. You know, Reed Hastings may be the CEO of Netflix, but he's not getting his hands dirty with working with the artists, ew. Um, and, and on top of that, like the MPTP is like a collection of people that are all trying to destroy each other, which I think people don't think about, right? I mean, Netflix, Netflix's greatest dream would be that like ABC, NBC, CBS just tanks and more people subscribe to them, which is, I just don't understand how all of their purposes can align when they're just out to kill each other. Yeah, you'd think right? the old school studios would want to break through. I mean, they have their own streamers now, but Sony doesn't. So, I don't know, it yeah, seems like weird Paramount to me. Paramount should step up and be like, let's anything, do this Netflix thing. Netflix might yeah. be like, yeah, let this ruin the industry, and then Iger will back sell off ABC, and yeah. we'll buy all that stuff, yeah. and soon there will only be Netflix, Netflix and Amazon, Apple, Apple. And, Amazon. and then yeah. Apple will buy Disney, and then we'll all. Well, Peacock <laughs> and and Disney Plus are bleeding money. They've put so much money into their streaming channels that it's not showing profits for them. Right. Yeah, it's because everybody bought into the Netflix thing of like if you just fire, like what you were saying, if you just fire hose yeah. content at people. 
to have a new thing out every week, then people will have to, you know, join up with it. And you that can't. That they don't even promote. They don't promote. They and throw you, it and against you, the wall. Because they don't really care, yeah. And you, so, and you can't. You can't make great things that way. You can't make The Godfather. You can't make John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, you can't, you, th these sort of things just aren't gonna happen in that way, you know. It's, um, I'm with you. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Scott. <laughs> but yeah, they want us binging. They want us like just to not stop and take a walk and talk to our loved ones about whatever we just saw. They want us just to roll over and watch the next one. And, and, and I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, if the way I understand it, these business models just don't work. Like, they all these these streamers are offering you unlimited content for eight yep. ninety nine a month or whatever, and and with this illusion that we're all getting uh, unlimited content. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they're just sort of like putting out stuff, and 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 yet they can't really afford to do. Like you said, they're hemorrhaging money, and so but so. The, the, the people who are a people, quote unquote, who are able to <laughs> support this it are, you know, Disney, who is able to make their money from cruises and theme parks and other things. You know, Apple, who's able to make their money from computers and phones. And like, so it's not even like movie people making movies anymore. You know, it's like yeah. these massive corporations who, yeah, of course they don't care about the little guys. They care about money <laughs> so yes if they can eliminate us and just have like a robot do it yep an ai robot well when it was just netflix and hulu they were making money hand over fist because they were the streamers you go to netflix was new you could binge uh house of cards you know, which was a brand new thing. And, was and Netflix had tons of, like, old network shows. That's really what people uh, were watching had, Netflix yeah, for. they had everything, and they were the only place you could get it. And then, you know, the, I forget which streamer bought the rights for The Office, but then when Peacock was formed, they had it. But now all of the studios, they have Paramount+, Plus, they have Disney+, Plus, they have Peacock, they have all of these, you know, Warner Discovery, uh, Max, all of that stuff, and they're competing against each other. So... Nobody is buying all of those services. They're being very selective, and even though Josh is, Josh is. <laughs> even though I'm it's in, true. in, in this too. business and it's a tax write-off for me, I've still been very selective. I've been dropping a bunch of them, and you it's know, the ones I don't know about. Like someone will tell me at some show, and I'm like, "What's that on?" And they'll say a word, and I'm just like, "It's on yeah. Jub Jub, dude." Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I freaking love Jub Jub. <laughs> You they never know what you're going to see. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, are you optimistic yeah. about what's going to come from this? Uh, I Look, yeah, I, I, I am. I, I feel like uh, the creative spirit will win out in the end. I feel we're not going to get everything we want. Uh, I just wish that we would start talking. Like, you know, uh, what was it? I was reading uh, Richard Rushfield. I don't know. He wrote this thing saying that he sort of wishes that... Uh, that like the guilds would go to Universal City and open up a room and sit there every day and say, "Hey, we're ready to talk to you, AMPTP." You know, especially when they're the ones who put out. You know, some producer had said, "What's your plan?" Well, our plan is to starve riders and punish them. Yeah, wait so they until homeless, they can't pay for their. Apartments. So they can't pay for their apartments and their homes. Yeah, which trickles down to everyone. Jokes on him. Here. Most riders can't afford a home. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's yeah. Right. What about you, Josh, Pat? Are you uh, uh, optimistic? I'm more optimistic than pessimistic, but 
Uh, I mean, it has to get resolved at some point. One way or another. Yeah, yeah, one way or the other. And people are going to be behind us, too, in, yeah, in exactly. a way. Because the 2007 strike, you were there for that probably, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. People I mean, it was... Oh, they resented the writers because they were the ones stalling the industry. We were the crazy uncle yeah. that's, you know, yeah. off in the corner spouting whatever. Can't trust him. But, uh, yeah, this one I feel like everybody can sort of look at it and go, yeah, there's a lot at stake here. If you love creativity and story and character and actors and all this stuff, it could go away quicker than you know unless we stand up and fight right now. Yeah, you know? yeah. Pat, what's the future of entertainment that you would... <laughs> wait, wait. On Chub Chub. Easy that, question. That you would like to see. That you would like to see. Oh, man. I don't... That, that is a good question, and I wish I'd already thought about it so I had a good answer. <laughs> next, time, next week on Postmortem, <laughs> Pat Casey answers... I just want something that's, you know, sustainable where people make money, where you get, you get residuals. Like, if, if you make a success, everybody profits off the success. Like, if they take away creative people's incentive to make success, then it's like, why? Are, why, why? We all go up above and beyond what we're paid for to try and make something great because you want to make a classic thing that'll live on, that people will watch, that'll continue to make you money in the future, but also your reputation and everything. And it's like if they take away our incentives, I feel like all the art's going to suffer and the audience is going to suffer too. And I, I just want, I want great art and I want an industry that continues um, until, you know, environmental collapse. <laughs> I, want, I want Violent Night for Mrs. Claus Attacks yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well. Let's strike I, over so we can see that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you, guys. Uh, Naomi Grossman, Scott Reynolds, Josh Miller, Pat Casey. Th and thank you for the audience here at Midsummer Scream. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.